0: Well, hey, so good to be gathered with you again. My name's Matt, for those of you who I haven't met. And um, our kind of the, the heart behind our church is we're all on a journey following after Jesus together. But really, our job as a leadership team uh, it's not is, isn't to put on a good show. Uh, it's not to just have a church that just grows and grows and grows in numbers, but is potentially shallow in other ways. Uh, our calling as a leadership team, as a church, is to equip The saints, that's all of you guys, uh, for the work of the ministry. And so we really see our role is one of uh, equipping and releasing, of raising up leaders. Every single one of you here uh, is a leader or is growing in your potential as a leader for the kingdom of God. And our heart is just to raise up and release. To raise up, to equip, to empower you to do what God's calling you to do, and then to release you into the world. Uh, for some of you, that's going to be leading small groups. For some of you, that's going to be planting new churches entirely. Uh, for some of you, it's it's going to look different for each person and your calling and the role that you play uh, in the kingdom. Uh, but God has a call on each one of your lives. And even as we were worshiping just now, I just had this sense that some of you are going to go on to lead really significant works for the kingdom. Um, disciple-making movements, where maybe it just starts with two people or three people or five people, but, but you're gathering people, you're discipling others with your lives. And, and some, for some of you, that's really going to just take off. You're going to lead works that are um, bigger bigger, and, and more far reaching uh, than, than what you see right here. So this is more than just, you know, 40, 50, however many people gathered in a park. This is really a time of, of equipping where a community that equips and releases. And if you think about it a year from now or two years from now, my guess is that half the people here or more are going to be off somewhere else. You're going to be released out into other places. Uh, whether that's, uh, you know, working for the union gospel mission, I was just talking with a few people this morning, uh, leading, leading works. Every single one of you can gather people in your home and lead a small group or what we'd call a a micro church or a missional community or whatever language you put to it. Every single one of you is capable of that. And, and it's going to be unique to you, but I think we really should be, each one of you should be dreaming really big about, Hey God, what are you calling me to? What kind of what do you want me to dream about for the sake of your kingdom? Because it's going to be way bigger than what you see right now. Uh, the The way I approach our community is this is just like a a leadership development uh, opportunity. We raise up leaders. We're going to equip you, and we're going to release you to go out and do things that you wouldn't believe right now that God was going to do through you. So that's our heart as a leadership team, and and Uh, Hopefully that shows through in the things that we do. And even as we look ahead to the fall, I know summer is kind of a unique time. Everyone's kind of in and out doing different things. But certainly as we look ahead to the fall, we really want to see traction in multiplication and raising up new leaders and equipping you to do exactly what God has called you to do for the sake of his kingdom. But we want to dream big about those things. Uh, In the meantime, we are continuing in our series through the book of Galatians. We've been working through verse by verse, line by line. We're getting near the end of this amazing letter uh, that Paul has written that we've preserved for thousands of years. Uh, We are now in Galatians 6 verse 3. So if you have a Bible, feel free to grab one from the front if you don't have one. But if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Galatians 6 verse 3. Uh, when, for the first couple years of being a Christian, I didn't own a Bible. And when I finally got one, I had no idea where things were in the Bible. So if that's you, not a problem. Uh, there's a table of contents in the front. But Galatians 6, verse 3. Uh, Galatians has been a, an amazing journey for us, as Paul has spelled out with great clarity that our relationship to religious law and religious performance and legalism have all come to an end in Jesus. Jesus is the end of the law. We're no longer under the law. We no longer need the law as a way to God because Jesus comes to us as the way. Jesus says, I am the the way, um, and Paul explains that the law, uh, religious law, never actually makes us righteous. It never actually imparts life to us. It was powerless to do that because humanity is, is in such a weakened state that adding the law um, only makes us weaker. We only we buckle under the pressure. It doesn't actually impart life. Uh, but in Christ, he says everything changes. Uh, in, in Christ, we have forgiveness of sin. We're released. From everything past, present, and future. Uh, We we find forgiveness. We find actually rebirth, uh, regeneration, adoption into the family of God. We are justified, Paul said earlier in Galatians, which means we are made righteous. We, We are declared righteous. We are found in Christ. And because Christ is righteous, now we have his righteousness as a gift. Now now life is being imparted to us that would have been impossible under the law because we are being filled with the Spirit and we live by the Spirit. So we experience a whole new way of life that's completely separate from religious law, religious performance, legalism, all of that. We live by the Spirit. And as we studied a few weeks ago, Paul says, hey, if you're living that life, if you're being filled with the Spirit, you're actually going to bear the fruit of the Spirit. It, It just sort of happens as a result of living life intimately with God, from being filled with the Spirit, we almost accidentally begin to bear the fruit that we could never bear under the law. Uh, And now we are nearing the end of Paul's letter. So he's kind of made that big, grand, big picture argument. We're reaching the end of his letter. And if you're familiar with the New Testament or Paul's letters, uh, he's a brilliant thinker. He's a brilliant theologian. uh, and, And he usually speaks, puts this big, grand, flowing argument in his letters. And then he gets to the end and he just like throws out all the stuff that didn't have a place in the rest of the letter. He's like, oh, and here's all the other things that have been on my mind. Consider these things as well. So we're getting into that part of the letter. Um, And if you were here last week, you remember we studied two verses on restoring people how we restore one another when we are caught in sin or fall into sin. He says, none of us is, is free from sin. None of us is perfect. But if a brother or sister is caught in something that's gripping them, then you who are full of the Spirit should go and restore that person gently. And That's what life looks like in the Spirit. This is what life looks like under grace. We look to restore each other gently. And then Paul says this in Galatians 6, verse 3, He says, if anyone thinks they are something, when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the Word should share all good things with their instructor. Love that line. Uh, Let's pray. Jesus, uh, would you shape us through these verses this morning? Uh, Many of us gathered here uh, are actually uh, gripped by the fear of others on different levels and and for different reasons. And we just pray for, for a sweet release of that this morning, Jesus, that you would come in the power of your spirit and that you could change within us what the law was powerless to change, but that you would set us free. Uh, You said it's for freedom that you have set us free. Would we walk in that freedom? Would we experience fullness of that freedom? Would you free us from fear of others and what they think this morning as we unpack these simple verses? In Jesus' name, amen. In a community based on law, the ground is ripe for works righteousness, Uh, for unhealthy hierarchies, uh, for special status and standing, for competition between one person and the next, for this mentality uh, of earning things and by earning something being superior to those around you. But when a community really breathes in the grace of God, everything changes. All of those things begin to fall away. Paul says, hey, you're all children of God now. You've all been uh, justified by the same grace, by the same sacrifice. There's a level playing field before the cross. Uh, There's no longer Jew and Gentile. That was an unhealthy hierarchy. They wanted to separate themselves. He said that's done. Paul says there's no longer male and female. In the ancient world, there was an unhealthy hierarchy there. They would even sit separately in the synagogues. He said "There's, there's no more of that. Uh, there's no longer slave or free, which which is uh, shocking in the first century and and probably shocking in many places in the world today. We know from the history of our own nation the deep separation that existed between slave and free, and and in some ways, uh, decades later, a century later, we're still trying to overcome some of those separations. That's how deep those separations ran in our nation's history. We're still trying to figure out what it looks like to come together again to overcome the damage that's been done. But now Paul comes along and he says, hey, Christ is the end of the law. He's the end of works righteousness. He's the end of all of the separations and hierarchies that you've created. Uh, what What's the solution? There's a lot of talk right now. What's the solution to the, the the lingering sexism in our nation, to the lingering racism in our nation? How do we overcome those things as a society? And Paul would say, well, well, Jesus is the answer to those things because he is the end of those things. And the community that lives in this place, that lives in the light of the cross is a different kind of community. It's a kingdom community. It's not going to look like the communities of the world. And one of the many things that is done away with in this new kingdom community, Paul says, is comparison. Human beings are are highly social creatures. We're wired for community. Uh, We're wired to, to relate to one another. We want to belong to seek that belonging, to seek that uh, acceptance and approval from others. So we have that built in because we're such social creatures. We want the acceptance of those around us. And then you throw in on top of that uh, that most of us love to succeed. We love to excel. We love to to feel like we're really living the best life that we can, that we're coming out on top. But Paul says, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not— If anyone thinks too highly of themselves, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Which is so much easier said than done. I think of myself as a rather uh, competitive person. I like to excel. I like to be successful. I like to do my best. Uh, And, but I was reflecting as I was studying these verses and kind of thinking through my own life and and thinking through how much of that uh, actually ends up being rooted in comparison with other people. So think about this, probably everyone here on some level wants to be successful, but what does that mean to be successful? How do I know if I'm being successful? Well, odds are I'm, I'm not measuring success by obedience to God and the life that I'm living before him. Odds are that, that what I'm doing is saying success is actually having more than the people around me. I, can be, I am successful when I have a higher GPA than everyone else, when I have a better paying job than everyone else. When I have whatever it is, I'm actually looking side to side in order to define success. Think about it. If I say I'm a fast runner, very simple statement. What's embedded in that statement? Well, what I'm actually saying is that I'm faster than most other people. And perhaps I believe I'm faster than you. That's the only way I can actually assess myself. What does that mean? If I'm the slowest runner here, can I really say I'm a fast runner? Does that make sense? So a lot of the, the statements that we make or the measures for success actually come from looking side to side. If I say I'm rich or I'm poor, what am I doing? Uh, the only way I can define those things is actually by looking to the people around me. I'm rich if I have more than most people. I'm poor if I have less than most people. And sadly, we can begin to run our entire lives through that lens. How do I know if I'm beautiful? Well, I, I actually tend to look side to I mean, I don't say that. I'm just, you know, it's for some of you guys probably say that, you know, uh, How would you know if you're wrestling with that question, am I beautiful? Well, odds are what you're going to do is you're going to look side to side. Am I more beautiful than other people? Do I meet the standard of beauty that most people don't meet? Then I can say that I'm beautiful. How do I know if I'm lovable? How do I know if I'm a good person? How do I know if I'm living a good life or a successful life or whatever it is? I'm going to be looking side to side. We play the comparison game. But the problem is that the more we play the comparison game, the more we undermine kingdom community. The more we operate in pride and self-righteousness on the one hand and insecurity on the other hand. And it's amazing how often we have the two of those at once. We begin to experience those things and, and we tend to do the things that we do, even good things can be done for the wrong reasons because we're driven by this comparison to others. And Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount. These are some of his words. He says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others for the purpose of being seen by others. If you do, if that's why you're doing it, if you're just performing, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, Don't announce it with trumpets to be honored by others. And and he goes on, when you pray, don't stand in public for the purpose of being seen by others. And when you fast, don't disfigure your face so that everyone around you says, oh, look at this person. They're so pious. They're fasting. They must be in so much pain. No. He says, you give and you pray and you fast in secret Before God alone, you live your life before God alone and your heavenly father will reward you for those things. Uh, Jesus knew full well the human tendency to do religious activities before others in order to gain status, in order to gain a leg up, in order to climb kind of the spiritual hierarchy, to pretend to be something that we aren't, to put on a show, that's actually the the root of the word hypocrite. It's a play actor, you're putting on a show as we compare ourselves with one another. In fact, as I was writing the teaching, I I had this uh this odd flashback to a time when I was in Turkey, which is beautiful country, middle eastern but kind of on the some european influence, um very muslim country, uh despite the european influence. And I remember being in a restaurant there, and a man walked into this restaurant in Turkey who, was very, who clearly had a high status in the Muslim faith. The way he was dressed, the way he carried himself, um, the people around him just made it very clear, oh, this is someone of great importance within this religious system. Uh, and, and you could tell he just exuded this sense of, of pride, of, of superiority, of, of self-righteousness, just the way that he carried himself. And there was two or three people with him and around him who were probably also important, but clearly not as important. And you could just tell from the way he looked down on them and looked down on the other people in the restaurant and looked down on the people who were serving him in the restaurant that he really believed he was superior. He was just sort of leaking pride all, all over uh, all over the restaurant, which is, yeah, maybe vivid imagery. But he... And And then, to make matters worse, he began like singing out these like boisterous religious songs so that everyone would look at him. And he began speaking out and in, in he was in Arabic. I don't know what he was saying. i don't I don't speak Arabic, but but he just wanted to be like everyone look at me. Look how important I am. I have climbed the spiritual ladder, and now I can compare myself with every other person, superior, superior, superior. And it just it poisoned the atmosphere uh, of the entire restaurant. And that's one tiny snapshot, but, but those things can happen very often in law-based religions. Because so often they're, they're works-based. You've earned something. You're climbing a spiritual ladder. And so you want to perform before God. You want to perform before others. You want to show your righteousness off. Uh, you, you kind of have this tendency to puff yourself up, to inflate yourself, to to try and be something that you're not as you compare yourself side to side. And Paul says, hey, all of that is done away with in Jesus. It's done. It's gone. It's, it's dead. We have a completely new paradigm. And, and while I think we might have a hard time in our culture relating to rule-based religion. A minority of you probably grew up that way. Most of us probably didn't. So, so the majority of us, we might think, oh, rule-based religion, yeah, that's not, that's not me. I wasn't raised that way. But I think a lot of our comparison shows up in our consumerism. And if we're honest, consumerism and, and kind of our, our shopping, consuming mentality, that kind of is becoming the new American religion Uh, We actually are coming to define ourselves and our quality of life and our success based on what we own and based on what we consume. That's how I define my identity. That's how I understand who I am, based on what I consume. And if we're honest, a lot of what we consume, a lot of what we buy, is driven by comparison, because that's what we see on Instagram. Because that's the latest fashion that's gonna change again in two weeks. Because the, the, the marketing and the advertisements, and I don't want to be out of style and I don't want to feel uh, left behind. And and what will they think of me if I don't? What if? What what if I'm what if I'm dressed in outdated clothes? What if I drive that car? What if I live in 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 that house? What will others think? Uh, will, will I fall behind? Will I be accepted? How will I stack up with everyone else? As we begin to peel back the layers, we can see, wow, okay, a lot of what I say and do and buy is actually driven by comparison and wanting to impress others. We, we want to project an image to the world that is acceptable to the world. We want them to think highly of us. And Paul says, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. He's saying you need to think clearly about yourselves, uh, about who you are. And each one should test their own actions. And, And this is key. We should be able to ask of anything that we do, of anything that we buy, why am I doing this? Why am I buying this? This is how we test our actions. We question, why am I doing this religious activity? (laughs) Why am I praying this way, fasting this way, giving publicly for everyone to see? Why am I living in this house, driving this car, going for yet another round of clothes shopping? Or another cart full of stuff on Amazon? Uh, Why am I posting this on social media? Why have I devoted my life to this career or achieving this GPA or landing this specific job that I want? Well, in too many cases, sadly, the answer to all of those questions comes down to comparison. In fact, we could ask ourselves, as we learn to test our own actions, in Paul's words, we could ask ourselves... Would I still do this if no one was ever going to know? Would I pray the way I pray? Would I fast? Would I give? Would I, would I drive this car or wear these clothes? Would I do these things if no one was ever going to know? If all of the, the labels were stripped off of my clothes and my car, would I still desire those clothes or that car? Or am I simply trying to compare myself with others, send a message to someone else? If no one was ever if your GPA was going to be blacked out of every record, w- would you still do the things that you're that you're doing? That's what Paul wants to know. And that's what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. Test your own actions question what you're doing and why question how you live your life and why not all the time we're not walking around just constantly introspective and and, but every once in a while we need to make big course corrects in our life every once in a while we need to stop and pause and say why am I living this way why am I buying these things why am I doing the things that I'm doing am I living before God alone or am I living actually for for the approval of others and out of fear of what they might think. In fact, here's the goal, Paul says. He says, stop worrying about what other people think. Just be done with it. Just exit that rat race. Then you can take pride in yourself alone, Paul says, without comparing yourself to someone else. Can you imagine that way of life? living this way, this type of freedom. I think it was, I think it was Donald Miller, he says that the person who doesn't care what anybody thinks, that those end up being the coolest people. Everybody wants to be the person that just doesn't care anymore what other people think. Can you imagine how liberating it would be to exit that rat race, that endless comparison, and step into a deeper expression of kingdom community? I can. And yet, when I look at my own life, I can see the way in which I compare myself to others. Hey, what are they driving? What are they wearing? Hey, what's, this is the worst for me. Hey, what's that pastor up to? <laughs> what are they doing? How many books have they published? How many people are, are, are going to their church? How many churches have they planted? What's God doing over there? What kind of success in world by worldly standards do they have? Oh, wow. That's a, that, wouldn't that be nice to have that? But the problem is that every time I slip into that way of thinking, it cripples what God is up to in the present, in my life, with me, with our community. It breeds dissatisfaction for the amazing story that God is writing through your life. Not all of the lives that we see curated and projected online. And, and it drives this sense of competition. All of a sudden we have this sense of competition. We have this desire to, to prove ourselves to others. And, and then other people actually become competitors to be beaten or, or to be outshone. Everyone is either a competitor that we have to beat or they're the scorekeepers who are judging us and keeping score. And all of a sudden we find ourselves inflating who we are and trying desperately to cover up our weaknesses. And we were doing this long before social media. This is Adam and Eve stuff. This is what we do. We, we hide behind this false image that we're projecting to the world. And in the process, we destroy any chance of real friendship and real community. Because those things are impossible without mutual vulnerability, without the sharing of one another's weaknesses. That's how significant relationships are formed. And yet, we tend to hold others at arm's length. We don't want anyone to see past the mask. We don't want anyone to see past the glittering image that we've projected online. And so we begin to live with this sense of isolation and anxiety and mild depression and dissatisfaction and bitterness and envy over that person's life. And wouldn't it be great if? And in the process, we actually discount who we are. We actually bury our own gifts as we compare with one another. Why? Just that comparison drives all of those things. And our actions actually become an expression of the fear that's within us rather than the inner freedom that we have in Christ. And Paul says, hey, think this through. Test your actions. Think about who you're living for. You're free from all of that stuff. You're loved. You're justified. You're accepted before God. You are delighted in. You never have to pretend to be something that you're not. Ever. You're already declared righteous. You don't have to earn anything. You don't have to inflate yourself. You have nothing to hide. You have nothing to prove. You have no one to outcompete, And as a result, you're free. And if you're free, then your life is no longer a possession to be defended. It is a gift to be shared. This is life under grace. This is life in the Spirit. Walk in God's grace. Be exactly who you are. Share what you have and we'll engage in kingdom community together. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, come before you this morning and we uh, pray a common prayer, uh, but, a, but a scary prayer. And that's that we pray, Lord, that you would search our hearts this morning. That, that you would test our actions. That you would reveal to us where we've been living to impress other people. Uh, I think of the, the quote, we spend money we don't have to buy things we can't afford to impress people that we don't like. This is, this is the culture that we inherited, Lord. Uh, but it doesn't have to be the story that we live. Would you teach us what it looks like to be free of comparison with those around us, to be stuck in, in endless cycles of consumerism and, and fast fashion and having our lives consumed by making sure we're driving the right things and wearing the right things and living in the right house? Lord, free us from all of that. There's a beauty in, in the simplicity of your inbreaking kingdom where we're just free, where it doesn't matter anymore. Uh, what the people around us think. Uh, And and as a result, we actually end up becoming uh, people of influence because we're free. We're not governed by fear. God, I pray that our actions, that the things we say, that the things we do, that the things we buy, that our behavior in the church, that the way we share our gifts with one another in the body of Christ, I pray that everything would be defined by the inner freedom that you've won for us at the cross. And that, and that none of it would be done out of fear, Lord. You say perfect love casts out fear. May we be a community that, that shows that to be true. And so we commit, Lord, right now to examine ourselves before you and in, in the days ahead. For some of us in the weeks ahead, this will be a time for us to just examine our lives before you. Why am I buying those things? Why am I doing those things? Why am I filled with with envy or bitterness or jealousy or whatever it is? God, free us. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Come and work now as we worship you in the power of your spirit. Amen.